coming up on episode 111 of Appetite for Distortion. We get in the ring with Spin Magazine founder Bob Guccione Jr. He tells us all about the history of that song from his perspective and tells us what he's doing now. Welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 111. It is Brando, and this is just another one of... Another step in the journey of this podcast night trend that I get a conversation I, I, I never thought I would have and I appreciate that I'm able to have. And it's all because of all of you uh, listening. And, and and Bob, I'm just going to bring you in because I just bring this. I just do this podcast naturally and have these uh, introductions awkwardly. I'm professional, mm-hmm. but not so professional where it's boring, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Rock and roll. Yeah, Exactly. So uh, I wanted to bring you on, and I, I want to make sure also I, I pronounce your last name right, because I've only heard Axel say it. Uh, uh, Guccione? Well, how did he say it? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we can, if you don't mind, because uh, I know you are you have a real reputable companies, if you don't mind how I heard it. I'm going to play how I heard it. it. Sure. Bob Guccione Jr., explain what you pissed off because your dad gets more pussy than you. Fuck you. Yeah, that was a lot. Uh, right. <laughs> he, he pronounced my name right, Guccione. Yeah, Guccione. Forgive me. So, uh, Bob Guccione, Junior. Yeah, Junior. Yes, sure. Because uh, you know, you're not your father. <laughs> I understand no, that no, part of it. Proud to be, proud to be his son. Tell me. Oh, of course. But you have your whole, your own uh, historic career, and that's what I want to talk about. Uh, just like many Guns N' Roses fans and music fans, we may only know the name from this the song, but you obviously have a, a major history in music, and those are things I, I want to talk about with with you and mm-hmm. I, I may want to start off just with uh i mean this just has a little bit of gnr in it but it, it was a quote i wanted to read from an uprocks article written about the song uh, a few years ago uh that he's like I, I sat in the car with a friend of mine that day the illusions came out of course and we listened to both albums for hours i was 15 i think i was i was younger than that if i was i'm 35 now by the way bob uh okay uh, yeah I, I didn't know who gucci owned was I didn't understand the context of those lyrics. I didn't even uh, think to, I, I understood much about Axl Rose at the time, except that he was behind Appetite for Destruction, the best album I've ever heard. I loved that song, too, and I clearly remember wanting to kick Guccione's ass myself, not realizing <laughs> that all Guccione had done was print the truth. So I identified a lot with what that guy was saying. Uh, mm-hmm. So I want to get lead up to that point because I want to learn more about you because you're from New York, yet you have an accent that is clearly not New York. Yeah, I was, bo- I was born in New York City and uh, grew up in London, England. And then we moved back to America in 1971, and I've really been here ever since. Most of that time in New York, the last several years, not in New York. Um, and, yeah, I, mean, I uh, want to just point out, by the way, for your, for your listeners, that Spin, which you're talking about, of course, which right. is the magazine I published, um, 
was the first magazine, first national magazine for sure, to actually talk about Guns N' Roses. And I think it was in 1988, way back then, we printed uh, a piece on the 10 artists to look for. Actually, it was the end of 87, it was the 10 artists to look for in, in 1988, and Guns N' Roses was on there, along with Public Enemy and you know a few other people, actually. Uh, that went on to be massive. I think, yeah, I think you called five it. of the ten we picked went on to be really, really, really big artists. Um, but anyhow, so actually we were initial uh, initial boosters and believers in Guns N' Roses. And yeah, look, that's uh, musically. I think we were always kind of supportive of the band. Um, but anyway, but there's a lot that goes to, and this is where we're going to start with your story. And I know we only have a, a limited amount of time. But it's what goes into publishing a magazine, and that's, I guess, some of the choices that we make. So uh, I know that your dad, uh, he was, uh, you know, a legendary uh, founder of, of Penthouse. So how did that come about for you? Because my dad was a dentist, but I never wanted to go to <laughs> dental school. You know, uh, uh, yeah, and I grew, I grew up in publishing, and my dad, as you said, started uh, Penthouse, which is one of the great successes in publishing history, actually. Um, yeah, and he sure. caught a, um, a moment in the culture in the late 60s that um, he, you know, wrote and, and very much defined, actually. And I don't think there were many American men in the uh, 70s and 80s that didn't read or knew about Pendhouse. Um So I did grow up in that environment. I was very excited and stimulated by that. And in fact, it was most driven by his Desire to do great investigative journalism. It was the stuff that really, um, you know, stirred the pot. It wasn't the stuff that Penhouse was famous for, obviously, but it was the stuff that really made people remember it and read it and distinguished it from so many other magazines that just had naked pictures of women in it. It's really, it was really only Playboy and Penthouse that, that men respected in those days. And when I decided to start Spin, it was because Rolling Stone had abandoned... Um, the young audience. They they didn't consider them worthwhile because it was it was the common perception that young people didn't have any money to spend, therefore they weren't interesting to advertisers. And Rolling Stone, which had started as a countercultural magazine, um, superbly so in the late sixties and through the seventies, had now become just a, you know, commercialized uh enterprise. And I knew that the audience that I was part of, the age group I was part of liked different music and had, um, you know, different interests and concerns. And so I just said, well, let's make a magazine for us. And that's exactly what happened. And the question you haven't asked yet, but I think you think you've been getting to, is how did the song come about? You know, what did we do to offend? Sure. Uh, yeah, no, that was, that was down the road. Uh, but whenever, of course, when you want to answer that. Oh, well, well I, just, I just, it was an actual outgrowth of what we did at, at Spin. You know, we, we were the, we were sort of the bad boys of rock and roll. We, we didn't play the game. We didn't care what record companies wanted. We we did what we thought our readers wanted. That's what made us successful, and it uh, you know it sort of tweaked the noses of a lot of corporations along the way. But but we were successful because readers knew we were honest. And at one point, and I forget when, forgive me, but obviously it was before the song and the album Appetite for Destruction. Um, the, the band sent out a contract to right. all journalists. And the contract stipulated they had to have complete control of every word in the article, including the captions, the headline and the, and the subheadline, and that they were the owner of the article. 
uh, in fact, in terms of copyright law, and there could be no violation of any of their t- agreements, or you, you agreed that you owed them $100,000. I mean, a ridiculous contract. Clearly, no self-respecting um, publication would, would sign and agree to that. And, of course, we didn't. But my editor said, oh, Bob, you should write an editorial about this. This is terrible. I said, no, 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 no. no let's, just, let's just publish the contract. <laughs> so we did. We published right. it word for word. And as we were going to press, literally as the, the last files for the cover were leaving our office to go to um, you know, the printer, um, and that's before computers in those days, so things had to be done manually mm-hmm. and physically. You know, I said, wait a minute, just add a line to the top of the cover. How to get your own Guns N' Roses interview, page 19. I think <laughs> I and so I did it as a joke, a sort of, you know, a sort of F you to the band. You know, like, you know, that's it. That would them for their stupid contract. And as it turned out, 10,000 people signed that contract and sent it into the band's office because we gave their address. Um, and cause it was on the contract. We gave the address. So, you know, the band was, was, was driven mad. I mean, they had 10,000 people just from Spin Alone who took it seriously. They actually thought you really could get an interview with him if you signed his contract. So my sort of, you know, uh, eccentric, you know, f- funny cover line was taken seriously by a lot of people. Um, and also a lot of people realized that we were saying this is ridiculous and and that was our that was our editorial comment. But anyway, I think the band after that got very very peeved. And additionally, we actually did a investigative piece on Axel. You know, we sent a reporter. We sent two, I think, to Indiana to find out who he was and where he came Is from. Is that the one called uh, Guns and Neuroses? It could be. Yeah, I, I'm seeing I'm it here. I remember it was a long time ago. September 1991. I'm seeing uh, Guns and Neuroses. Yeah, that's probably that was definitely the right time. Anyway, and that article definitely upset the band, and they were very, you know, upset Axel completely, because it was mostly about Axel, because it kind of stripped away the curtain and showed the, you know, the guy behind the curtain, uh, who wasn't quite as grand a wizard as, as he was, you know, saying he was, and that was it. You know, we did our piece, we did, that's what we did. You know, we, we actually, as I said, we, we liked the band. Now, I didn't dislike the music. I never particularly really got into it. It wasn't really my cup of tea. You know, and I later on, you know, definitely came down on the camp of Nirvana. That was more my interest. Okay. They were a more interesting band. But, you know, I didn't dislike the band. And there's a couple of their songs I thought were great. Um, and actually, I I did not hear the song that he wrote, uh, you know, Get in the Ring, until somebody brought it to me and said, oh, my God, you're on this song. <laughs> And uh, and I, I don't, you know because I wasn't listening to the group the group you know my 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 staff were they were all way into them and they were um, listening to advanced copies of the record and it wasn't like social media was around when you would know that stuff immediately where somebody would text yeah. you hey check this out sure yeah. I mean I knew pretty quickly because as it happened the um, editor of Hit Parader who's also one of the people mentioned the song he called me up and he was all panicked and uh, I don't know why I don't know what he thought the danger was or the menace. <laughs> And I just loved it. I laughed. I called my editors and said, hey, play me this record. And he put it on. We had turntables as well as CD players, but this was a, a vinyl. And we played it. And I just cracked up, laughed. And I said, okay, great. I got a response. And then I um, I called the record company, Geffen. I didn't know the management for Guns N' Roses. Personally, I had not met them. Um, so I called the record company. I said, well, I accept. You know, when do you want to do it? Wow. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, no, we want me to get in the ring. 
done. Let's do it. Anytime. You know, because at that time, I, I studied full contact karate, and I was literally training four times a week. Wow. Got in the ring at least two of those four days. You know, we didn't fight every single Not session. a metaphoric ring for you. No, no, no. It was, it was one more time. You know, I mean, and I was had done it for, for almost 10 years at that point. Wow. So I was really very, very uh, fit and proficient, and it was, a, you know, it was my... It was my uh, can't really call it a sport. Don't want to be pretentious and call it an art, but it was it was a discipline, you know. Fair enough. Yeah. So we we did it. We you know we we look. I, I want to say this not because I'm on your show. I've actually said other people too. I did it completely without malice. By the way, I never had any malice towards the guy. Um, I just said, "Oh, he's calling me out. Well, I'll just do it." You know, certainly wasn't going to to back down and. But I never felt malice towards him or any dislike to him. You know, I'm very good friends with John Mellencamp, and he told me back in the mid-'90s or something that Axel Rosa once said to him he wanted me dead or to kill me or something like that. Okay. I just laughed. You know, I mean, I, I, I honestly hope he never felt that malicious towards me um, because it would be a waste of energy to feel that. And I, I, I wasn't in any way – I wasn't in any way angry. In fact, it was just a, um, you know, a perfect – uh, publicity storm. So, this is favor. Yeah, there's a lot of things to de- uh, decompress there, and I appreciate you sharing, you know, that story and, and how you felt at, at first, because you seem to have gotten the most vicious attack in the tune. And other than laughing, did you like the song at least? I know you preferred Nirvana, but did you think it was? Did you like it, or you're like, oh, why did they oh. even waste time, ta- you know, talking about me on this? Oh no, no, no. I mean, I, I had neither reaction. I didn't. I didn't particularly like the song musically. I don't think it's anywhere near uh, the caliber of their music. You know, um, it's not. It's not November Rain. You know what I mean? It's not, sure, sure. It's not. You know, any of their their great songs. It was. It was probably okay. You know, obviously, I was pretty much subjective at that point. So. Um, but but it didn't blow me away as a great song. I wasn't particularly proud to be in the song, and I wasn't ashamed to be in the song. I immediately just saw it as a... It immediately made me laugh, and I immediately saw it as a fantastic um, publicity vehicle. So I'm sure we sold a lot more of their records, and they probably sold a lot more of our magazines as a result of that. Uh, and like I said, you know, it's very important because I've never had any malice, and I think people might have thought I did. But I didn't. There was actually zero malice. And I was very, very happy the fight never happened because I was so much bigger and <laughs> stronger than him, you know, um, that it wouldn't have ended well. It have been, you know, <laughs> anything I could be proud of or anything either one of us should be doing. So, you know, he did not know, I'm sure, when he wrote the song that I was a very accomplished full contact. Clearly fighter. not. But and um, so I don't think, you know, it would have been a good choice of words had he known. And and as I said, there was absolutely zero upside to me being a bully about it. But there was an upside to publicizing it, and I saw that and took that. And um, and and really, quite most importantly, I wasn't going to be pushed around. The song didn't matter to me, but the but the public perception would have mattered. And you know, yeah. I said to the couple, the one other guy I spoke to about this. I said, you know, call him out on it. But, you know, it, it became me calling it out, and that became, the, that became the focus, and that became the press. I will say that uh, your story is, I mean, I 
totally believe you anyway, but Doug Goldstein, I'm friendly with the manager of that time, and he completely mm-hmm. confirmed what you said. <laughs> oh, like, really? <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, he uh, once he put in an offer to, uh, to accept the challenge, Alex, Axel just, let's just say, he he never returned. He never returned his call. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, that, 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 that did happen. But, uh, and forgive me for not knowing, your your dad was was still around at that time, or no? Or no? Yeah, he was alive. Yeah, he so, died. Um, it's coming up to ten years almost. Mm. Sadly, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. I think yeah, around six years for my dad. So uh, it's sad. Yeah, it's sad to lose them. Uh, sure. But a day goes by, I don't think of him and my mother, who I lost a few years before that. Oh, I'm so, sorry to hear that too. You know, yeah, thanks. Well, I'm I'm in six. I'm in my sixties now. So I know, but still, <laughs> it doesn't matter what age. It doesn't matter. No, no, but I mean, you, you're not surprised as you get into your own, you know, lady years that your parents don't. Yeah, sure. Survive much longer. They both went in their seventies, but. But what did he think three. about it? Because it's it's still like your in you know your diss track your insult is such a compliment to your dad too at the same time. Oh yeah, no, I always said people, you know, people have asked me about this before this song. And um, I always said, yeah, he got way more women than I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm uh, proud of I'm it. You, said, you yeah. found her a penthouse. I mean, how can you not? I and mean, come on. Yeah, no, no. He um, he pretty much cornered the market, you know. Um, Especially, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a simpler guy too, anyway. But uh, yeah, sure. I, had my, I had my I had my fun as a young guy, especially during the spin years. But uh, I'm not in my dad's league now on that one. So he he laughed about it, but I wasn't talking to him in those days. Unfortunately, we were mm. we were estranged for many years. It was another ten years before we, uh, or more than that, before we actually reconnected. And I spent a few good years with him before he died, where we were very close. I read and about that, that and I'm glad. I'm glad. So he he laughed at that uh, at it too. He thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, mm-hmm. oh, that's 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 too brilliant. Do you and the yeah. other people that are mentioned, Mick Wall and such, do you or do you have some sort of brotherhood or? You know, no, I think at the time... Do you said, call each other every year, you know, and listen to the song <laughs> together? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't think I've ever spoken to Mick Wall. Um, it was Andy from Hip Parader. Sure. Who I did speak to. And I had spoken to a few times and liked very much. And, you know, we we sort of ran into each other, edit, other editors of magazines. And I, you know, you'd run into your backstage at a concert sometimes or at a music convention like South by Southwest or... Um, you know, the New York one, the New York New Music Festival. I can't remember the exact name, forgive me. Um, but, you know, there wasn't that kind of a brotherhood, but there certainly was nothing but good feelings, you know. It was very friendly with with Bill Flanagan from Musician, actually. Um, and he's still around, I think, in music. I think he's maybe at VH1, but uh, he was a great editor and a great friend. You know, it, it's interesting, and you know, because I, I want to know how this this led up to you know what you're doing now with uh, WanderlustTravel.com. Is there was a, a story that came out recently that Slash had a similar contract, and if there was any question that could perhaps jeopardize the reunion tour and you know all these lawsuits and everything, and that journalist printed it. Now, we're in a, an obviously a completely different age, 2019, from when you did magazines. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, good for, for Penthouse and Playboy for still being in business with, with what's done in today's climate, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think about, 
you know, it's, it, what you did was rock and roll. It was having fun. You sent us this, this contract. I mean, it's not that serious. It's not the Pentagon. You're not asking for, yeah. you know, missile codes or whatever. It's it's not that big of a deal. Papers, yeah. Right. So do you, what do you think, do you, looking back on it, I mean, not with everything that happened, do you say, hey, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have printed that. I still wouldn't have signed the contract. Or do you have any, do you think about anything differently? Uh, no, not at, it, all. not at all. Okay. Not at all. I thought it was one of, one of the, um, more irreverent things we probably did, and we did a lot of irreverent things. <laughs> you know, we were irreverent guys. I mean, we just were. I mean, we were kids when we started the magazine. I was still young in 1991 or whenever that album came out. 91, 92, yeah. uh-huh. um, You know, we were kids having fun with our lives. We didn't take ourselves too seriously. Um, and I think it's a shame because Guns N' Roses obviously were a big, big band, and they were obviously a great band. But they did, or he did, Axel, took himself a little too seriously. And that's antithetical to rock and roll. You know? Although they all make the same mistake. <laughs> you know what I mean? They all, eventually, these bands become so big that they um, often, or not, not invariably, but quite often, do take themselves too seriously. And that's not the point. You know, the, the thing that made them popular was, um, was their lightness, their irreverence, their outlawish. You know, right. Outlawish. <laughs> I got you. Um, it's quite a mouthful. Um, and, you know, no, I, I never had any second thoughts about that. And, you know, um, I, I mean, that includes not thinking about it at all until you just mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get occasionally asked about the the song in an interview, but, you know, I don't ever think about the contract. Um, and now that you bring it up, no, I, I would have done it 100 times out of 100 times. I guess it was what you should have. I mean, it's uh, you're forever, uh, you know, immortalized in a song. And <laughs> and again, it, it's you know what else you've also done. And I guess go back to what I said at the beginning, quoting that uh, that article from Uprocks. It's like I I didn't know who you were, but Axel made me hate you at the time. And now, of course, talking to you, you couldn't be more polite and nice and, and and now i mean i don't know if i can listen to the song the same way again i don't know if i can i can uh, sing, <laughs> if i can sing along and, and, and curse your name anymore <laughs> uh, it's funny it's funny well thank you thanks a lot no don't curse my name anyway it's good it's, i mean it's been cursed enough you well, know if you're if you're working in 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 a public industry like journalism and, and publishing um you know you have to realize if you're doing anything by the way unless you're just completely vanilla and generic but if you're going to do anything of any merit you're going to upset some people you're going to thrill hopefully you'll thrill more than you upset but you will you will definitely do both you'll thrill some group and you'll upset another group they may have already upset people in the travel world because of you know wanderlust has a um a bit of an irreverent side and a cheeky side as well you know we're not we're not just there to you know, applaud everything that goes by and 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 be patronizing and obsequious. You know, there's no point in it for the readers if we are that. Uh, plenty of travel publications and travel sites are obsequious enough. So, you know, we've already, you know, tweaked a few noses and I'm sure pissed a few people off. Um, and in the end, I just hope that we, we thrill more people than we, than we upset. Um, the one thing I never want to do is bore people. So I'm sure we do that sometimes, and I'm sure I've done that many times. But I try not to be boring. I try not to make the things we produce um, generic and and, and, and noteworthy. So, you know, it it never bothers me to know that somebody 
who doesn't know me has a bad opinion of me. It bothers me that someone who knows me has a bad opinion of me, and that makes me wonder what have I done wrong. It makes me self-reflective, you know? But one can't be in the public uh, arena and be thin-skinned. You, you, you learn that pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you clearly have, and you've been able to be successful, obviously. I mean, like most people, you've had ups and downs, but, I mean, Spin is still a legendary uh, name and, and, and entity and uh, what you did with gear. So I'm just curious how now you've gone from, I mean, magazine publishing is a different game. I mean, is, is that why now you've gone into uh, the travel business? Can you tell me uh, about what, what wonderlusttravel.com is all about? Yeah, it's um, it is of course the problems of the magazine business that has driven most people out of it. Um, and you know, internet publishing, which has its own problems. By the way, almost all of the problems that uh, websites have, publishing websites, is mediocrity. You know, the good ones very rarely have the same problems, but because the barrier to entry is zero, it's just so easy. Anybody. Uh, can start their own site right. in a matter of hours, frankly. And um, that barrier of entry means that the, there's an infinite sea of crap out there, along with a few very good publications. Same with radio like, and podcasting, sure. Sure, podcasting could be going to be the next sea of mediocrity. I hate to say it because, again, the barrier to entry is very mm -hmm. low. You're the right. barrier to entry... in Print publishing is very high. You have to have a few million dollars to start. I mean, we didn't when I started spin. We had nothing actually, but next to nothing, and and we started frugally. But but nowadays, uh, the opportunity to do things on credit and to do things simply is gone, and everything is very expensive. And you know, to publish a magazine is a, requires a very few huge investment, and is also very time consuming and timely. It takes a long time to go from you know creating an article to sing it on the newsstand. So the industry has become anachronistic, frankly. It's a shame. And I, I've spent 40 years in the publishing business and in the print publishing business. And, you know, I'm sad to see that that is now really kind of dilapidated. Um, but online publishing, which is incredibly exciting and everything is possible, uh, and it could be multimedia on the same page, you know, all those exciting things nonetheless have the, the great issue of um, the, the diffuseness of the market by all the other players in it. And I think, too, that one of the problems that internet publishing is having right now is the accelerated arc, which has, in fact, copied the disastrous failings of the magazine world. You know, it took the magazine industry about 120 years to, to die. It's taken uh, internet publishing 20 years to get to the same death spot. Mm. Already, sites artificially inflate their audiences um, so that they have X millions of people who really aren't that interested and who the advertiser won't pay for and who aren't that interested in the product themselves. So now they're supporting inflated audiences that are really valueless um, because they followed the siren song of just more and more and more people. You know, and I've been saying for years, even, you know, years before I got into uh, publishing Wanderlust, that the future of online media was niche and quality. Pick your subject, do it well, uh, you will have an attract and you will keep a, a good audience yeah. um, and not be as concerned with numbers. And I think podcasts will 
settle around the same. I feel like that's what I'm you're doing. doing that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. It's about to say that. And you're doing it well. You know, and so you're serving an audience well, and that's the right business. But if you were to do a generic sort of everything rock and roll podcast, right. you get lost. A hundred percent. That's exactly why. And that's why uh, iHeart picked me. That's what the guy who, who said, who was like, you're, we're going to help you, you know, gain listeners because you're not a generic rock, rock podcast. When any of those come to me, I'm like, forget about it. It's just, there's too many of them. Mm-hmm. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. So that's why, you know, I go into radio because, as I mentioned, I have uh, my backgrounds in journalism. And, you know, I, I certainly I can't compare that to your history and, and your knowledge. But I, I go into that with it, that mindset, having a journalistic mindset of building a show. As yeah, opposed- no, by the way, you can compare that completely to my journalistic career uh, because it's the same exact same principle. You know, um, it's to tell a story honestly. You said something very nice at the beginning of this show. You said that we printed the truth. We did. You know, our stories may have pissed off the band, and particularly Axel, but um, they were the truth. And by the way, if they weren't, we'd have been sued for slander, I mean, libel, and we'd have lost. So we were, not only not only is, the, is it our journalistic principle to tell the truth, but we are very motivated by the consequences if we don't, you know? So... It's all about the truth. It's it's actually also about saying something worth hearing. You know, I think that's often overlooked. I uh, I have competitors in the travel world. I don't want to mention them. It's not fair. They're not here to rebut me. But (laughs) they they are generic and boring and mundane, and they just repeat the same old crap they get out of a press release. And, you know... They'll talk about a place and just say how fabulous it is, and it's this and it's that. You learn nothing from that. They're not saying something worth reading or, or listening to. And that's that's a waste of everybody's time. And, you know, uh, that, that's why particularly the larger sites on, on the web are having such problems now, because they're not keeping an audience. You know, there's no loyalty. Spin it a fantastic loyalty. Um some other magazines I did, I'm very really happy to say, I think had great loyalties. Uh, because people said, well, this guy's trying, this magazine's trying to tell me something. And, you know, if I don't agree one time or another time, I'll keep coming back and see what else they have to say. And I think that's important. And again, just because of the, you know, infinite possibility of doing a site doesn't mean everybody who does a site has uh, delivered something worth patronizing. Uh, so I guess one question on uh, I want to make sure that people visit uh, wonderlusttravel.com. What can we, what can you find on there that that makes you uh, different or certain articles? Because I mean I see, you know you have some great endorsements from Bill Maher and uh, Vladimir Klitschko, right? Is he's mm-hmm. on there? Yeah, well those are both very good examples of what we do is different. Um, and by the way, I want to make this point too for, for any aspiring publishers listening to the show. It it isn't the sole objective to be different. That also gets a bit overplayed, I think. Um, you try too hard? Yeah. Just because something is different doesn't necessarily make it better. Sure. It's a good starting point, usually. Um, so we're different in the sense that we have a sense of humor. Wonderlust has a sense of humor. And just to be clear, because I know it's audio, it's hard to see how we'd spell this. That's spelled W-O-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T. You know, it's not Wonderlust, which is a different word altogether. This is Wonderlust. Because I felt that there was something eternal about wonder. Uh, you know, it was very primal, very basic, and very eternal, and therefore more interesting. Um, but we 
we do a lot of what you'd expect a travel site to do. We wouldn't be very worthwhile if we didn't. You know, we tell you about great places to go. We find places. We have great experiences that we bring to the readers. And our writers are very good. And so they they manage to evoke a sense of place. But one of the things we do do differently is we have a humor to it, a wit. You know, uh, the other travel sites, the main travel sites, don't. They're never funny, which amazes me because the world is incredibly funny. And that is funniest when you're sort of tripping over your own feet running around it, you know. Oh, for sure. Um, and so I think humor is great. Irreverence is great. You know, one of the most read articles we did was the, the world's worst beaches. And it was kind of a, you know, a joke on all the generic lists of the world's best beaches. You know, there aren't many beaches that you wouldn't say were great. Um, and there's probably a million in the world. Yeah, not, unless they had like hyperdermic needles or in the sand. I mean, right, which, which, <laughs> is, which appears on our list because we did. Okay. <laughs> we did the inverse, the world's worst beaches. Right. That you can categorically define. <laughs> right. And these are beaches to avoid, you know. And it was a great list, and we worked hard on it. We, we actually spent a couple of months doing it. And that's funny, that's different. You know, we've had some fun with those kind of things. And the teacher just mentioned uh, Klitschko, Vitaly Klitschko, the, the former ah, world champion boxer, is the mayor of Kiev. So we interviewed him about Kiev. Great piece. Great piece. He had a lot to say about Kiev. Very charismatic guy. And the Bill Maher piece um, is 10 travel questions with, which is our most read column. And it was 10 travel questions with Bill Maher, who, of course, ironically, doesn't really like to travel. He does travel, <laughs> but he doesn't like to. And I interviewed him because I've known him for a long time, and, and it, it just was a great interview. That's cool. It was very funny and very uh, interesting. Um, and, you know, so we have that lightness of spirit about us, and that that's something that's missing from most travel sites. They can be vapid, but they don't really have a sort of lightness of spirit, you know. Yeah. You just think of a travel site, like, all right, I'm just going to book a, a thing, and it's just, you know, boring. But, yeah, that's, what, I, again, you're, you're speaking my language. I could be... Ah, I could be here talking and just, you know, about rock and roll and not try to be funny and add my Jewish humor to it. I can't do it. Life is too funny. I got to do it. Exactly. Uh, no. One more question that we just got in, and I know you're a busy man. I'll let you go. Uh, this was actually just put on, a, on my Facebook. Uh, from Sandy Johnson, what are his thoughts on the current Axel? Were you surprised about how successful the Not In This Lifetime tour was and that there was no drama? Well, that's an interesting question. That's a very good question. Um, I'm... You know, historically, one would be very impressed there was no drama on an Axel tour. But in reality, he's got to be 60 now himself, right? It can't be. Uh, late 50s. He's not 60 yet. Yeah, all right. So, okay, mid-50s. So, you know, you tend to want drama less in your life as you get a bit older. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, look, he's a, he's, a, he's a great musician. You know, he's a great singer, great musician. Um, and I'm not surprised if he's successful. Uh, you know, he's got a great fan base. Um, you know, no one stays young forever. Uh, and so, you know, he's got to modify his act a little. And, um, you know, yeah, no, I'm not surprised. Not at all. Right on. Well, I mean, this was really a, a pleasure, Bob, to, to speak with you. I mean, I'll never listen to Get in the Ring the same way again. I'll still enjoy <laughs> it, but it's going to have a totally new meaning to me for the rest That's of my life. Cool. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
that's that's a pleasure to hear. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, likewise, and just you know, keep up the success with uh, WonderlustTravel.com and and whatever. When anything else that you come up with uh, in, in the future, because you've always been creative and with coming up with with new ventures and uh, just continued success. Thank you very much. You too. So that was fun. I didn't know what to expect when I first reached out, but as you just heard, he he loved it. He loved every second of it. He didn't have any malice toward it. What would you have done if you were him? Would you have published the contract? No, that takes balls, you know, at that time. And that leads me to, as we wrap up this episode, to, uh, and I'll try to make, not make this segment too long. I believe we've only done this segment one or twice, but get in the ring. Get in the ring, motherfucker! Now, I want to do it in the spirit of maybe this conversation, not so much calling people out and telling them to suck my dick and all that fun stuff. Um... I'm only mentioning this because it was brought up by a fan and I had addressed it a little bit on on Twitter. And I'm just disappointed. Let's just say that. I'm disappointed. And it's Guns N' Roses related. So, uh, and, and as we do on this podcast, it's great when Guns N' Roses leads to real life stuff, good or bad. Um, our, let's just, I'll just say uh, in this way, my, my friend friend of the show, shrugging my shoulders a little bit, uh, unfortunately. Uh, Art Tavana, he, we had a little bit of a falling out, unfortunately. Uh, I will try to be, I don't want to be vague, so you know what I'm talking about, but at the same time, I want to have something that I know is very important to him, and that's our journalistic integrity, which I believe I have as well. But everything is, you know, Subjective to a degree. Uh, he had shared with me a what I felt a privy piece of Guns N' Roses information. And he said, I just want you to see it because uh, you're my friend and this would interest you. Uh, please don't share it. I didn't share it. In fact, I actually deleted the text. A week goes by and I see the subject of what he had sent me. The subject meaning like the, the topic was being discussed about on one of the forums that reminded me of what he had sent me. Uh, I asked him to reconsider sharing it because I think there are people who would care. Uh, and he said, sure, if you want to share it, fine. Uh, his feeling was that I would never get a, a – it was – I don't know. It could it could hurt my show if maybe it was like sensitive information that uh, – the, like Guns N' Roses people may not come on the show ever. I mean, so far I've only had Richard Fortas and I could barely talk GNR with him, which is fine. Totally fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. I've, I've mentioned, you know, how many examples? That's why I had Tommy Stinson on again. That's why I had Brain on again. You know, I'm not going to hit these people hard with questions. You know, I want to have a fun conversation and get to know these people. So anyway... Uh, but as we do, as we've learned about, we learned about uh, the trolling history of Guns N' Roses fans. We've learned about the copyright stuff, which is still going on. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So I, I felt, you know, this piece of information was important to share. Uh, not for my show, but just in general. Something that obviously he felt it was important too in order to share it with me. And then I don't, I just don't know what happened. He, he felt that I was going to share this information, you know, because I started asking him about it again. And I feel silly saying this, but it's just what happened. And 
it it's what happened again after this fan tweeted both me and Art saying that because uh, Art had asked what podcast do you listen to religiously. This fan said mine, and my podcast is the reason that he found Art, uh, that Art had blocked me on Twitter. But before that, he had blocked me on Facebook, defriended me. And, and I feel, again, I feel silly, but in 2019, that's un- unfortunately an insult. You know, people act up in anger. Uh, sometimes, yeah, sure, it could, it could be an accident, but enough time has passed that I know it, it was neither of those things. Um, and when I asked him after, you know, as, as a friend, I, I just did not like the responses he gave me, and I just found it very, very mean. Let's, I, again, I want to be somewhat vague, but it, that was my experience, that he was very mean. And I will always thank and appreciate when people do things for me. Um, you know, we can just say this Get in the Ring segment is brought to you by Alternative Nation. Now, you may not like their style of clickbait, which is unfortunately necessary because we live in a clickbait world, not in the spin world that Bob lived in. Very different. You have to do what you got to do. But he has helped me get new listeners. He is he's helped me. And I will always when a listener comes on, I will thank them. They are the reason. And I would hope as I do that in my life, that would be the feelings would be mutual when I help out some other, someone else out. Unfortunately, sometimes it's not reciprocated. Uh but I do want to because there was some time it had passed, and he didn't like that I was confiding in other friends that knew us mutually about the situation, uh, that he wanted to talk on the phone. I knew at the time I was too angry to talk on the phone, so I just let it let it go. But I think you know whether or not he hears this or word gets back, if he wants to talk on the air, if he wants to talk off it, but just didn't appreciate uh the behavior that went on after that, which sucks. And again, the only reason I'm bringing it up is because a listener brought it up. I had a, it was, I had to respond on Twitter because it was just, how do, how do you not? It's just like it's shoved in your face. And, and I don't want to keep you in the dark. No, you are a part of this show. As much as I am, as much as Guns N' Roses is, you are a part of the show. And when somebody who has been a, a co-host who has helped me interview. He helped interview uh, Brain with me the first time. Isn't on the show anymore. I want to let you know. Do I have to do that? Of course not. But this is the show. This is the podcast I would like to build. Because Guns N' Roses relates to life. And that is what this podcast is. And that is a GNR thing that related to life. And unfortunately, uh, it had a negative um Outcome. Hopefully, it's not the final outcome, but you know, as they say, not in this lifetime. And you saw what happened, so you, you never know. Uh, this other one, I need to be a little bit more specific, and I appreciate you guys hanging out with me after the interview with this little bit of a rant. Um, and that's the continued harassment of Guns N' Roses fans online. So maybe this get in the ring needs to be either be to Guns N' Roses themselves. Uh, not that I think that I'm anyone to be calling out guns and fucking roses, but I'm just, I, something, who else? At this point, it's like, who else? It's either guns or roses or perhaps even the, the moderator of the, the, the guns or roses official online forum 
night train. And it's not because of necessarily my experiences. It's listeners. It's you coming to me saying, hey, I appreciate what you've done so far, giving the fans a voice. Here's what's going on. And I, I'm here to talk about it because maybe you've experienced the same things as well. Uh, a listener of mine named Rick, uh, who was just like generic dude. You know, I think he first hit me up saying that he appreciated that I talk about mental health on the show and he loves the podcast. Great. Uh, on Twitter, he's one of those fans that just shares pictures and videos with other people, tags them and say, happy Wednesday, Gunners, and, and just like, you know, tag a video. He is now banned from Twitter because of too many copyright strikes. Is that Twitter? Is that YouTube? No, it is not. It is another calculated attack by the same person who is who's attacked my show at times, who's gotten Franz and Roses off. But this guy is just a regular fan. And when this fan comes to me saying that he's literally devastated and knowing that this guy suffers from depression and sharing Guns N' Roses videos and pictures with his friends, which is what a fan is meant to do. It is the definition of a fan. Listen to the music, not illegally stolen, not shared for profit, sharing music and talking about music with your friends. He is singled out. Why? Because he's a fan of my show. I don't, I don't know. Why is he singled out? Why is he attacked? And then there's the domino effect of all his friends that were in the same conversations every day. It may seem simple, but when you suffer from depression, things like that, it is not that simple. So that's fucked up. So again, it's the, the, the bullshit copyright laws that are set up by uh, Facebook and Twitter that really don't do – where it's just like a bot. You know, It's such a procedure to, to, for them to look into these things. And sometimes it works out. You could fight the copyright. You can win. But – uh, as as I'll mention, I'm, I, you know, because another listener, why I I have to bring it up because this is a, a podcast first and foremost, not just my social media pages, but w somebody else asked me why can't I subscribe to you on iTunes? Because their customer service is garbage. This was goes back to all the copyright attacks, and my my podcast is still on there, uh, iTunes and Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. New episodes are still being put on there, but you would have to go look. You would have to go type in Appetite for Distortion as opposed to just easily subscribing. I can't get help from iTunes. It's just, you know, I had, uh, Scotto actually referred me to a friend of his that works for iTunes who tried to help expedite this, and he got yelled at. He got yelled at. I mean, so some of these companies are just bullshit. So it's not just Guns N' Roses. When you're at a certain level— so that's what I mean. Like, it's not Axel. It's not even like you have to look at it like they are, unfortunately, a business. And sometimes if you if whatever's going on doesn't affect their bottom line money, it's just they have so much else going on. It's frustrating. And the Night Train Forum specifically now because a, a listener uh, brought to my attention. Um, I don't go looking for it. These people are, are more obsessed with me uh, than I am with them. But on, if if you go if you're a regular Guns N' Roses fan, and you you're looking to talk with other Guns N' Roses fans, maybe this, this not in this lifetime rekindled your your love for them, and you're looking for a forum, then you fall, fall on Night Train, the official forum, and when someone shares my brain interview, and specifically 
the part about him now becoming a professional tennis player and wanting to get as good as Lars Ulrich from Metallica and play him. Like, that's hilarious. But for a a moderator on there to be allowed to essentially to slander the show without, like, trying to have a conversation. And these are the same people, the copyright strikes and the, the poor moderators of the forum, uh, that if you haven't listened to the copyright democracy episode that we've done, that's who uh, uh, we're talking about. And, you know, they, they like the attention. So, but I, I need, I'm doing this more for the attention of the, well, suffering of the Guns N' Roses fans out there. And we're so lucky with this reunion of sorts uh, because we had nothing. And when the online presence is being uh, poisoned by a few bad apples in the real bad sense, what, what is the band doing? You know, uh, other companies do this. If, if something goes wrong in a, in a Starbucks, like a racial thing goes, goes on, the, the whole, the owner of Starbucks shut down the entire company uh, for like, well, it was a couple hours to do like sensitivity training. You may or may not have liked that method, but that's what it's all about. It's all about like how my reputation is important to me. How I treat you, the listener. How I treat the my guests. How I treat my co-hosts is important to me. But when lies, like deliberate lies, or are, are spread out there to the average fan out there, now you're, you've gone beyond uh, attacking supporters of my podcast, defending me. You've now taken bread out of my mouth. I am so grateful to be doing a a Guns N' Roses uh, esque podcast for. More than two years. The only reason I do it is because I keep getting more and more listeners, keep getting bigger and bigger guests. It's fun. And of course, the goal would be to, you know, like any radio show to make money. It would be great. Um, and, and, and wouldn't it be making money off Guns N' Roses? It's using it as a hook. It's using it like if I did a, a generic rock, rock podcast. Would I be making directly off rock? No, I'm making money off the the program I'm doing. You know, and there are a lot of episodes where there isn't a lot of Guns N' Roses spoken about. Obviously, there has to be. Otherwise, we couldn't do the episode. There needs to be that six degrees of GNR bacon. But this is, I'd be selling this product. So when I, I fight, and scratch and claw for every single listener that I get and every single guest and just say that, um, and again, this was brought to my attention. I don't look at you people. I don't, I don't it's you people, the trolls. I mean, I don't, I don't look, I, I try not to give you any attention. I, you don't exist in my world. I don't need it. I'm, I'm doing fine just on my own. But to say that this show is shady, what's shady? Do, do you need to see my tax returns? What, what's shady about this? Uh, I have people come on who like to tell their story. And who am I to tell them not to tell their story the way they want to tell it? You know? Great example is that I've had both Alan Niven and Doug Goldstein on. They have different versions of what happened for certain things. And I don't care. I love them both. They're both so nice to me and so good and care about the fans. 
And I would love to one day have, uh, whether it be Fernando or Beta on here, so people can get to know them. Not any hard-hitting questions. To get to know them. That's what this podcast is about. It's a getting to know you or a subject that somehow in some way relates to GNR. So it, this isn't just the, the Brando show. Nobody gives a shit about the Brando show. We want to talk about Guns N' Roses and see where it goes. That's the fun of it all. And you're depriving, you're not only a, a, allowing in that form harassment of other fans who listen to my show, who know what this is about, who know I talk about mental health and addiction, that know that I've had family members of bands on that I treat with the utmost respect, and then you 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 harass them, what for for voicing the truth, the real truth. That shouldn't happen. I tell you what, on mygnrforum.com, any harassment is shut the fuck down. I do not envy Downsy and Russ for one bit. They have a hard job because the internet is the wild, 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 wild west. And you don't know people, and it's easy to get into arguments when it's there's no, maybe th- thinking out of context, there's no tone to it. It's difficult. That's why I love the podcast as opposed to you know, being a journalist, what I initially went to school for. But there needs to be real truth on these forums or a real control. My GNR forum does not allow that. If there is some bullshit thread that starts, they shut it down. And that's not an official Guns N' Roses forum. It's, in, like I guess, endorsed by because Axel has gone on there. Fernando has gone on there. I know they are, um, at least Downsy is, is kind of, I'd to say friendly. I mean, it's not, you know, they certainly don't speak often, but Beta, they have a good relationship. And I know none of these people that I've developed a working relationship, including Art, would keep it going if I had some, if I had shady business going on. So don't spit that shit out there. Because you're going to lose. You keep losing. I keep winning. 111 episodes. Look at my guest list. Listeners keep going up. Let's see where this goes. Together. You included, trolleys. You should be enjoying this podcast. Not for me, for yourself. Because we get some great stories that we did not know before. The band isn't giving them. This is fun. Or just don't listen to me. Don't control and start a BS narrative. If you do, you are the one who has an appetite for distortion. Thanks for listening to my rant. Thanks for listening to episode uh, 111. Of course, uh, please uh, follow and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app. Uh, I appreciate all the listeners who have heard uh, the iHeart promo and other podcasts who are now joining us. Uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, YouTube. Uh, follow us on Twitter at The AFD Show, Facebook, uh, slash the A- Facebook.com slash The AFD Show. And just let's keep this going. Let's keep this. That's what uh, after as soon as the interview is over, Bob Guccione, uh, I got to say it, I, I spared him by not saying it like that to his face. Uh, he 
emailed me saying thank you for being so positive and and and, and just like a nice guy. Sorry, I'm paraphrasing, but I remember the word positive that he mentions. Thank you for being so positive. Because how could I have not have made that? I could have tried to start a fight between him and Axel again. Not my intention. We had a fun conversation. Let's have another one next time. All right. So when is the next time you will hear us? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word, 